This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey there, friend. Welcome back to Casa de Blood. I hope you weren't expecting the tiki bar to be ready. Still got some saving up to do. So for starters, I'm switching Chester here to old Roy. Prick cost me an arm and a leg. Hey man, if I can drink Dr. Thunder, you can handle some old Roy. Spoiled rotten, that kid. Guess that's my fault. Come on in, friend. Mmm. Ugh. Alright, the hell with generic cigarettes. The tiki bar can wait. So smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. But first. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including... Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. And tonight, we welcome back Frederick Tangborn, whom you might remember from Dead Storage, Season 3, Episode 2, and Where the Ravenous Dwell, Season 3, Episode 13. In this story, we join a man whose house is harboring a little secret. So, without further delay, I give you the Ninth Circle. Seth, we have a basement! Uh, who is this? A voice responded. I pulled the phone receiver away from my head and grimaced at it in disbelief before putting it back against the side of my head. It's Chase! Chase Pimentel! Good lord, man! Don't you recognize my voice? Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry, Chase. We were just sitting down for dinner, Seth Meehan said apologetically. Uh, what did you say again? A basement! Our home has a basement, I repeated with fading elation. A basement. Seth's voice was even less interested. Yes, can you believe that? After all this time, we never knew we had a basement. There was a hidden door under the stairs. It looked like part of the wall, but it was actually... Yeah, Seth cut in, the winds of enthusiasm blatantly taken from his cell. Listen, Chase, Carol made a meatloaf. And the kids are already at the table. 
How about we continue this discussion tomorrow? I'd be more than happy to- I believe there are dead bodies being stored in it. I interjected as calmly as I could. Dead bodies? Did, did you just say dead bodies? His cells again filling with intrigue. Yes, there may be several. I'll be right over. Hanging the phone up, I turned to my wife, Gina. She stood behind me in the kitchen, nervously wringing her hands. Her face was a worrisome mask. Is he coming over? I forced a weak smile as I held her trembling hands. He's on his way. Seth will know what to do. As I held her tightly, trying to transfer my self-control into her shaken body, I looked over her shoulder and down the hall to the open section of wall beneath the staircase. Seth will know what to do, I mentally reassured myself. Seth and I had attended the local high school here in town and even attended the same community college. He had even married a local girl as I had done, a year after myself on the same month. Now in our mid-forties, he resided in a respectable area of town filled with cookie-cutter homes and freshly manicured green lawns. While Gina and I chose to live in an old two-story colonial home on the outskirts of town, Gina's father had passed away four years ago and left her with a sizable inheritance, which we put a portion of into the buying and repairing of the aged abode. Now, while I am by no means a simpleton, I had chosen to call upon Seth because, well, simply because Seth loved to read. The man would go through books, regardless of their genre, faster than an elephant through peanuts. He was a vast cornucopia of knowledge, mostly useless knowledge that one would never really have any significant use for, but nevertheless, knowledge. If anyone was to be called before involving the police, it was Seth. He would know what to do. Eighteen minutes had passed since I hung up the phone when there came a knocking on the front door. Now what's all this talk about dead bodies? Seth grunted as he entered and began removing his trench coat. Spotting Gina standing at the end of the hall, he politely nodded in her direction. Good evening, Gina. I'm sorry for pulling you away from Carol's meatloaf, Seth, but I didn't know who else to call. We wanted someone's intelligent opinion before bringing the law into this, I said as I took his coat and hung it near the door. That's fine. Now. Without going into a long-winded speech, give me a quick rundown before I actually have to see anything. Well, I began. This morning I was walking down the hall to the kitchen and tripped on the hall rug. I gestured to the long Persian-style rug which ran the length of the hall from the foyer, past the staircase and into the kitchen's threshold. I keep telling Gina that we need a heavier rug. This cheap imitation is too thin and easily bunches up, making it a literal death trap when walking across. Perhaps if you'd lift your feet when you walk and not drag them like some condemned man going to the gallows, the rug wouldn't bunch up. Gina quickly added from the end of the hall. Who drags their feet? That has nothing to do with it. If the rug was heavier, it... Okay, okay, Seth cut in. Enough about the rug. What happened next? Well, as I was saying before I was rudely interrupted, I continued, I tripped over the rug and fell against the wall beneath the stairs. When I did, I guess I caused some hidden mechanism to activate because a section of the wall came loose and opened. I pointed to the section of wall that was partially open under the staircase. Behind it, there's a passageway that leads down into the basement. 
There's even a light switch on the wall before you go down. Seth slowly slid past me and down the hall to the hidden doorway. And you said you found dead bodies down there? Grotesque thing, Gina muttered, remaining at the hall's end. Seth stood just before the hidden portal and was examining the entrance way down. I crept up behind him. You see, just like I said. Without a word, Seth carefully ducked his head and entered the area beneath the stairs. He stood looking down the wooden stairs that descended into the newly discovered basement for a second before he moved down them, his one hand guided by a pine handrail. As he made his way down, I warily followed close behind him, with Gina inching her way from the kitchen in tow. The walls leading down below the house were of large heavy stones and ancient mortar that undoubtedly constructed the home's foundation. I had left a single light switch on after leaving the cellar's confines, providing us with a convenient source of illumination as we proceeded lower. Almost instantly, the surrounding air seemed colder as we left the house above us and moved deeper below. As we stepped from the final stair and onto the hardened earthen floor, the three of us paused as Seth took in the unfamiliar surroundings. The cellar was a room of perhaps 30 by 30 feet. The heavy wooden beams laid across the stone foundation were high enough above us where we did not have to stoop or bend. The room, by all accounts, was bare. At the bottom of the stairs, if one was to look to their left, they would see six 55-gallon plastic drums of a blue color lined against the stone wall. Hanging above the barrels fixed deep into the mortar was an oddly yet fascinating symbolic design of a dull black metal. The circular symbol was perhaps three feet in diameter and forged with crude curves and sharp points. To one's right was a pile of wooden crates and various discarded furniture stacked high. This and only this existed in the otherwise empty basement, all revealed by a half dozen poorly lit light bulbs wired above us. It's exceptionally cold down here, Seth remarked as he rubbed his arms. We said nothing in reply as we both were already aware of the drastic change in temperature from our initial findings of the room. Where are these bodies you spoke of, Chance? This place looks empty to me. Over here. I replied as I pointed to the plastic barrels before walking toward them. Once we had reached the row of blue drums, I again pointed. There are small windows of clear plastic built into the barrels. The others are obscured by a dark liquid, but this one, at the end, reveals its contents. I stepped back, allowing Seth to take a knee in front of the suggested drum. His head turned to and fro as he squinted, trying to decipher the shape within the brownish fluid. Only when his eyes recognized what he was peering at did he fall back away from the congealed, rotted face of the <gasps> cadaver inside. Good lord! He exclaimed as he scrambled to his feet. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Neither were we, Gina quietly added. Seth exhaled heavily as he regained his composure and studied the barrels from a distance. Above the windows, his hand pointing to each drum, there are dates drawn on each one. They seem to be in six-month intervals. Only now did I notice the dates above each window, drawn in a black magic marker. The one containing the visible corpse being the recent with a date of 6719. Who owned this home before you? Seth suddenly asked as he turned to face me. 
You know Christine Graham, right? Well, her grandparents lived here. Once her grandfather passed, the bank put the house up for sale. So I guess the answer is the Grahams, I said after some thought. Seth nodded and looked around the room some more. What the hell were they up to? This makes no sense. It makes all the sense in the world, Gina chimed in. They were murderers. Isn't that obvious? I shrugged at her comment as I had no sensible rebuttal. Who would have ever thought? I wonder if Christine even had some faint inclination that something was going on down here. Whatever secret the Grams were hiding, I'm guessing it died with them, Seth replied as he continued to study the room. Like this design on the wall here. What's this all about? Apparently it has some significance. He then turned to the stack of crates and furniture behind us. And why is this down here? There's no rhyme or reason for... His voice trailed off as he took notice of something within the heap of furnishings and moved toward it. What is it? I asked as I followed. Without answering, Seth paused at the pile. There's a chest freezer buried underneath all this junk. So? He moved to the side, allowing me to view the large, filthy gray freezer. Why is there a padlocked hasp bolted into it? What's inside that's not meant to be seen? Sure enough, someone had screwed a hasp of newly polished metal and a heavy padlock onto the old chest, preventing the lid from opening without the consent of a key. You don't think that there may be more bodies in there, do you? I asked. Seth only glanced at me, his expression speaking louder than any words. I nodded. Gina, would you do me a favor, please, and go upstairs and get a hammer and the biggest screwdriver you can find from under the kitchen sink? After some reluctancy, Gina made her way back up the basement stairs into the house. In the meantime, Seth and I began removing the clutter from atop the freezer. Once the last object was cleared away, I leaned against it, catching my breath. My hand instantly retracted from the freezer as if I had placed my hand on a burning stovetop. It's freezing! I exclaimed, rubbing the cold from my hand. The freezer! It's cold to the touch! That's impossible. It's not even plugged in or working, Seth remarked. Feel it. Hesitating, he reached out and gently placed his open hand atop the chest, then withdrew it quickly. <sighs> You're right. It is cold. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the stairs, we could hear Gina descending into the basement. My hammer and a thick gauge standard screwdriver clutched in her hands. I hope these will do. They'll do just fine, thank you, Seth said as he took the tools from her. I took a step away from Seth and moved to Gina's side as he began working on removing the padlock. It took five good strikes of the hammer upon the handle end of the screwdriver to pop open the lock, breaking the body from its shackle. It fell to the floor in pieces. Exhaling from his labor, he set the tools at his feet, then looked at me as if asking permission to proceed. I nodded and stepped closer, preparing to see for myself what the freezer held. Gina remained near the stairs. Gripping the lid, Seth flipped it open in one quick movement, the lid falling back against the cellar wall, allowing us visual access to its interior. What we saw was something neither of us would have guessed in a hundred years. Before we could peer into the chest, a frigid blast of air rushed up, washing over us, followed by swirling flakes of snow. We immediately shielded our faces from the cold blow, and after the initial rush of air, a chilled wind continued to flow from the chest. Leaning slightly forward, Seth and I gazed down into the freezer, only to see that the chest held no additional dead bodies, nor did it contain a bottom. A plunging shaft dropped into nothingness. The walls of the chest's interior, as well as the descending shafts, were caked with thick ice. Together, we leaned back and glimpsed at each other before looking back inside again. Impossible, Seth muttered. How can this be? I added. What is it? Gina inquired as she moved to my side and peered down into the chasm in silent awe. This is physically impossible, Seth repeated. It was then that my wandering eyes caught sight of the open lid. I straightened back up and saw that blackened letterings had been burnt into the inside of the lid. Spim, Deponite, Omnis, Ki, Hook, Entrates. I had to tap Seth several times to divert his attention from the deep icy shaft and pointed to the writing. What's this about? I asked. I haven't the faintest idea. It appears to be Latin, but I couldn't tell you what it says. It was now Gina who spoke as she leaned inside the freezer, despite the frigid air that blew from the pit like a powerful air conditioner. Listen. We see speaking and did just that. I don't hear anything. Shh. Listen. At first, I heard nothing but the howling wind pouring forth with its whirling snow. Then it came to me like a distant train drawing closer. It was the faint wailing cries of what sounded like hundreds of people, their agonizing moans and sobs riding upward on the wintry winds from the unknown depths below. It sounds like... I began. Damnation! 
Seth finished as he promptly closed the lid with a slam, almost catching Gina's head. Damnation, I repeated in a dead tone. Damnation? Gina inquired, not quite grasping the concept. Help me move this, Chance, Seth said as he positioned himself at one end of the freezer. What are you going to do? I asked as I moved to the opposite end. Help me slide this thing away from the wall. I want to see something. Without further questions, we put our weight against the chest and with some effort, slid it half a foot away from the wall. Where there physically should have been the shaft below us, there was only the dirt floor. How is that possible? I heard Gina ask from behind me. It's not, Seth replied. This just can't be, I muttered. How can the pit only exist inside the freezer? Despite the chilled temperature, beads of sweat had accumulated on Seth's forehead. His face was twisted in deep thought before he spoke and moved to the stairs. I need to make a phone call. A phone call? I asked, following him with Gina bringing up the rear. You mean like the police? Hardly. This is beyond anything they can undertake. He was making his way quickly up the stairs. I know a man who has knowledge of these matters. I turned to Gina behind me as I ascended the stairs behind Seth. Told you Seth would know what to do. Upstairs, Seth made his way to a phone in the living room while Gina moved into the kitchen, where she began brewing up some coffee. The very thought of the hot beverage warming my insides caused me to relax slightly as I sat on the topmost stair into the basement, looking down the staircase as I played the role of sentry. I'm not really sure why, but after seeing inside the freezer, I felt safer monitoring the entrance down to the cellar, even after I had returned to the chest and wedged the screwdriver through the hasp, replacing the broken lock. After a moment, Gina returned with mugs of steaming coffee. Seth appeared shortly after. Did you make your call? She asked as she handed him a mug. Yes. He's very sympathetic to our discovery and eager to assist us. Who did you call? I asked between sips of the hot liquid. His name is Harold Chabok. He's versed in the ways of the occult. The occult? Gina asked. Yes, this is not some basic murder scenario we're dealing with. I'm sure we can all agree on that after looking into the chest freezer. Both Gina and I nodded silently as it was a hard argument to argue with as we continued sipping our coffees. There was hardly a word between the three of us while we waited, as the findings in the cellar had disallowed any meaningless chit-chat to be conducted. Close to thirty minutes had passed before a knock came at our front door. It was 9.15 p.m. Harold Chabok looked more like a vaudeville magician than he did anything else. I'm not sure how I envisioned him, but some cocktail party illusionist was not one of them. He was a shorter, portly man, dressed in a dark suit. His pudgy face was detailed with a slick black hair and a pencil-thin mustache with a pointed goatee, all obviously dyed to a jet black. All that lacked from this magician's portrayal was a top hat and a cape. After a brief introduction by Seth and a rundown of the current situation, the four of us filed down the cellar steps. Chabok took some time to walk about and intently survey the basement and the objects within as Seth explained each item. After several more minutes of contemplation, he eventually asked to see into the freezer chest. 
I removed the screwdriver while Seth opened the lid. Chabot cautiously peered down into the seemingly depthless shaft, then looked up to the right and seared into the underside of the lid. Can you read it? Seth asked. Yes, it is Latin. It more or less says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here, he replied. Supposedly, it is said to be written on the gateway into hell. I'd be lying if I said we didn't gasp at that answer, and the lid was quickly closed. Turning around, Chabok suspiciously eyed the metal design fastened on the wall. He moved closer to it as he studied it more closely. Like a light bulb illuminating above his head indicating he had remembered something, he pointed to the design and twisted at the waist to face us. I know this. What is it? I inquired. This is an ancient symbol. It signifies the ninth circle of hell, he answered proudly. Are any of you familiar with Dante's Inferno? The book, of course. I've read some of Valieri's work, answered Seth sheepishly. Excellent. Then you are aware that in his writing, hell is divided into nine layers, or circles. Some cultures, such as the Chinese, acknowledge the underworld as having different levels, each distributing a distinct form of punishment, depending on the sin. I'm sorry, but... I can't recall what the ninth circle was, admitted Seth. Harold was marching about the room as he began speaking, his hands moving wildly about as he lectured. In Dante's writing, the ninth circle of hell is the final circle reserved for those guilty of treachery and betrayal. It is the lowest, blackest, and furthest place in creation from the divine light of God. I always thought hell was a place of burning lakes and fire, Gina chimed in. In most religions, you are correct, ma'am, but as I said, in this particular case, it is a vast frozen wasteland of frigid gales. There resides a massive lake of ice where its unfortunate residents are frozen inside with only their heads protruding. Lucifer himself is said to dwell in this circle. And you believe that is where that pit leads? I asked, not quite believing what I was hearing. Harold stopped his prancing march in front of me. I am only speculating, Mr. Pimental. This is only an assessment based on what I have witnessed. Do you have another explanation for what we have seen? Well, no, not really. I was only... My voice trailed off as I had no logical answer. What about the bodies in the barrels? Seth asked, saving me from a prolonged embarrassment. The bodies, yes. Chabok turned away from me and strolled to the drums. It is not uncommon for corpses to be used in occult rituals. Some of the darker ceremonies required the consumption of newly dead flesh, but these... He gestured to the barrels. They haven't preserved these and have over time become more of a soup, if you will, than anything. I highly doubt these were being readied from any ritual ingredient. Their purpose is yet unknown to me currently. 
As he continued studying the drums, you could almost hear the cogs turning in his head as he thought. He then shrugged as their purpose eluded him, and he turned back towards us. Very well, then. Is there a flashlight and a lengthy piece of rope or cord in the house? I feel it may help if we are able to see how far this pit descends, and if there is anything to see in the darkness below. I made a nod to Gina. There's a flashlight and a spool of tough twine under the sink. Nodding in return, she turned and made her way up the stairs. You see, gentlemen, Chabok began. My references to the book are purely fictional, mind you. But what if there is some truth to the story? What if this seeming normal freezer is a dimensional doorway to the underworld? A frozen realm where the souls of the dam are in eternal torment? It would be the greatest find in all of religion. The sound of Gina's footfalls descending the steps sounded as she appeared with both requested items. Taking the items from her, Chabok wrapped the loose end of twine around the handle of the red plastic flashlight. Once the twine was knotted and secured, he turned it on, then nodded at Seth, who opened the freezer. Again, howling chilled winds rushed up to greet us. Now we shall see what lies in the depths, eh? He said as he stepped to the open chest and momentarily peered down before slowly lowering the light. The flashlight spun rapidly in circles in the whipping winds and bounced off the ice walls of the shaft as it descended. Hand over hand, Chabok continued to lower the light. The three of us had moved up to the chest and were all gazing down into the pit, watching the spinning light fade as it descended lower and lower. The light must have sunk twenty feet when it suddenly reflected on a pair of shiny eyes staring up at us from the depths. <laughs> In unison, we all shouted out in surprise at the unforeseen sight and jumped back from the chest. Chabok had released the twine, allowing the light to freefall into the shaft. The light dropping so fast that the twine did not have time to unravel, and instead the entire spool leapt up off the ground as if on its own accord and fell into the freezer. Standing away from the chest, the four of us waited in petrified horror as the sound of something scaling the ice wall could be heard as it neared the top. What was that? I muttered in a weak voice. Perhaps it is an inhabitant of, of the void, Chabok stammered. We'll soon find out, added Seth. It was then a large human hand reached out and clasped onto the edge of the freezer. Besides having the basic human characteristics, the skin was a bluish hue with long pointed black fingernails. The other hand soon followed as the thing was now pulling itself up and out of the chest. The head was the next to surface a hideous foretop that was a grotesque mixture of a man and insect. A segmented skull with a protruding brow and human eyes like glowing embers. No ears or nose were present, and its mouth was not an open orifice of teeth, but consisted of multiple mandibles. Heavy triangular structures surrounded by tiny crab-like legs that constantly moved about. A crown of small curved horns circled the hairless head. 
We stepped back even further until we reached the drums against the far wall, watching in mesmerizing disbelief and sheer terror as the thing finished pulling itself from the chest. The naked body lacked visible genitals, with a long serpent-like tail ending in sharp barbs slithering behind it. Comparing it to ourselves, it must have been easily over six feet tall. It is an ice demon of the frozen circle! Yarkazoth! Shabok stated as he scrambled to pull something from the inner pocket of his blazer. At the mention of the name, the demon directed its attention to him and released a long, menacing hiss from its crab-like mouth. Shabok suddenly ripped a silver crucifix from his jacket and held it out at arm's length at the creature. Begone, Hellspawn! In the mighty name of Tetragrammaton! Return to your icy hell and leave the material plane of man! The glorious power of God is present here! The demon hissed again and stepped back. Chabok must have felt that he now possessed the upper hand and stepped toward it. Seth tried to reach out and grab his arm, but his fingertips only brushed the man's sleeve as Chabok advanced. Again, he thrust his arm in the demon's direction as he continued to step forward. I must admit, at that moment, a flame of inspiration ignited in me seeing this vaudeville magician display such power over the hellish monstrosity. It did not last very long. Without warning, the demon reached out with blinding speed and grabbed Chabok by his wrist, <laughs> lifting his arm up. Your prayers are worthless here. The thing spat out in a gurgled, rasping voice that was barely comprehensive. The magician winced in pain and before our very eyes, his hand turned blue as a freezing effect was being placed on his limb from the demon's grasp. It covered the sleeve of his blazer with advancing ice crystals and cold vapors as the icy infliction ran up his arm. He moaned in pain as the paralyzing cold rose higher as it now reached his upper arm. His hand was unable to drop the crucifix as his fingers were frozen solid in a grip. In one powerful movement, the demon brought its other fist down on the man's elbow, breaking the arm in half with a loud crack. Chabok's arm had been frozen solid, as if he had dipped it in liquid nitrogen. Chabok dropped to his knees, teetering on the brink of shock. His mouth was agape as he wildly stared in stupefaction at his severed arm. I wondered at that moment if the man actually felt genuine pain since the arm and its nerve endings were frozen and without feeling. Perhaps just being able to see what it had done was more than enough. Tossing the preserved arm to the side where it shattered against the wall, the demon's barbed tail whipped about, striking Chabok violently in his face, ripping the man's jaw from his skull in a splattering display of blood that splashed against the wall, his mandible and several teeth skittering across the floor. Before he could hit the hardened dirt, the thing snatched up the toppling body and flung it into the open freezer chest. <laughs> like a garbage bag being tossed into a trash receptacle. We could hear his body bouncing off the ice walls of the shaft as it tumbled down to unknown depths. 
Gina screamed at this point and broke for the stairs. In a delayed reaction, I reached out to grab her, but like Seth had done earlier, I missed my target. She had nearly made it to the stairs when the thing's tail whipped around again, and like a whaler's harpoon, impaled her through the back. Her body arched while a stream of blood shot into the steps as the barbed tip emerged from her chest. I was the one screaming now. Self-control abandoned me as I lost all perception and attempted to lunge at the thing. To do what, I do not know, but it was Seth who wrapped his arms around me in a bear hug, restraining me. We both watched in gut-wrenching fear as the tail was pulled back forcibly, taking Gina's body with it only to be snatched in mid-air by the thing. Its large hand had caught her at the back of her neck and slowly rotated her about so it could look into her face. Her face, yes. I will never forget that twisted mixture of pain and fear in her face. To witness her in such a state in which I had never before seen, ripped at my soul. Her eyes bulged from her head. A stream of blood trickled down the side of her mouth as her suspended body twitched uncontrollably. Then, to add insult to her mortal injury, it applied the same icy fate to her as it did Chabok. Her face turned blue, and an ice crystallization rapidly formed in her short, dark hair, and within a few seconds, she had been frozen solid from her upper shoulders and above. Her agonized facial features were forever petrified and ice. It observed her demise briefly, then pulled its tail from her body and, like its victim before, tossed her into the freezer. Her head striking the chest's edge, shattering it in half as she, too, toppled down the shaft. I screamed like never before in a roaring rage. Ignoring my cries, the thing began to crawl back into the freezer. Before it dropped out of sight, it pointed to the line of plastic barrels. More. Then it leisurely began its long descent down the pit. Overwhelmed with grief, I slid from Seth's grip and crumpled to my knees sobbing. That was the last thing I recalled. It was sometime past midnight when I awoke on the sofa in my living room. A damp washcloth had been folded and placed upon my forehead. I turned to see Seth sitting across the room reading a book. What appeared to be a glass of brandy sat on a small table next to his chair. What happened? I asked as I slowly sat up. You passed out, he said, closing the book. After that monstrosity departed, I closed the freezer put the screwdriver back in place and replaced as many crates and furniture as possible by myself. I'm guessing that once the Grams found out what was down there, they took extra precautions to make sure it could not come out without their knowing. Gina? I asked somberly. Chabok? Seth slowly shook his head. If you're hoping it was all a dream, it wasn't. My face grimaced in grief, and my eyes teared up as I laid back down. <sighs> what do we do now? I've been thinking about that. I wiped my eyes and turned my head toward him. <laughs> and? 
We need to either destroy that freezer or bury it somewhere where it will never be found. Destroy it? How? I had to really think about that one. And the only surefire way to be certain it's totally destroyed is by taking it to a salvage yard and having it crushed in one of those baling presses. It'll flatten that freezer like a pancake. Problem solved. I laid there staring at the ceiling, mentally visualizing cars being crushed flat by that powerful industrial machine. If it could demolish a steel car with relative ease, then what chance would plastic and aluminum have? I sat up abruptly. When do we start? Seth set the book down next to his drink on the table and leaned forward. I was hoping you'd say that. I took the liberty of making a phone call while you were out cold. You know Derek Laserson? Derek Laserson? Derek Laserson? I muttered as I sat up and swung my feet off the couch. He sounds familiar. I play poker with him and some of the other guys on Thursday nights. He runs a scrapyard in town. He owed me a favor, so he's letting us stop over there tonight. And? Seth looked at a clock resting on the mantel. He'll be there at 2 a.m. He's going to crush that fucking freezer for us. You're shitting me. I was now on my feet as he was. How'd you get him to open the yard in the middle of the night? Seth only grinned and shrugged. With your pleasing demeanor, you can accomplish the impossible, you know that? Before we start tooting our own horns, we have one major obstacle to hurdle first. What's that? I own a pickup, so we have transportation. We're going to have to haul that chest up from the basement and load it in the truck by ourselves. He turned to the clock. And we have two hours to do that and drive it over. Lagerson won't wait there all night for us. I thought for a moment, throwing glances at the hallway. How heavy do you think that mother is? He shrugged again. Who can say? It was heavy, just sliding it several inches. Two hundred? Two hundred and fifty pounds? It's no ordinary freezer, so... Damn. Well, let's give it a try. Once we get it up to the first floor, I'll back the truck up to the front porch. Taking the washcloth off, which remained stuck to my forehead, I tossed it on the couch and made my way back down the cellar, with Seth right behind me. Downstairs, the two of us eyed the freezer, mentally trying to figure out how to begin the laborious task. I exhaled when my imagination expired and turned back to the blue drums. Hey, Seth? What do you think that thing meant when it said more? Seth answered without taking his attention away from the chest. Who knows? If I had to guess, I'd say the previous owners were dumping bodies in that pit regularly. Like sacrifices, keeping whatever lived down there just that. Down there. I pondered his answer gravely as I rubbed my chin. That would make sense. Maybe that's why it left when it did. It already had its fill of... My voice faded as I recalled Gina's face frozen in horror. I choked back my tears. That is something to consider. It could be that the Graham's sacrifices were overdue. Maybe they were too old and for some reason they forgot about the bodies here, or were unable to dump them in the freezer. So they just sat here fermenting into a rotten goo. Who can really say? I turned away from the drums and returned to Seth's side. You realize that putting our backbones into this will be a monumental effort, right? He finally said. Yup. Okay then. Time's a-wasting. Let's get this son of a bitch upstairs. 
It was no exaggeration when Seth had said getting the freezer chest up the stairs would be a monumental effort and that our backbones would be providing all the workload. I had to admit that I had never worked so hard in my entire life and began to think that we were providing the wrong execution to the right idea when it took us just close to an hour to move the chest to the foot of the stairs and push it up the first several steps. I had to grab a few towels and drape them over the pushing end so we didn't have to touch the icy exterior. One end rested on the cellar floor and the other on the staircase. Despite the chilly temperature, we were sweating through our shirts and had unbuttoned them and rolled up our sleeves. Okay, Seth said between breaths. This will be the hardest part. We'll both push from the bottom and it'll slide up the stairs. It sounds easier than it will be. We just have to keep pushing until we reach the top, all right? No stopping. I simply nodded, too winded to answer verbally. Putting our shoulders against the chest's end, we counted to three and then pushed with everything we had. My thighs were on fire and my back threatened to spasm as the freezer slowly moved upward, inch by inch. Despite all my doubts, we had managed to move the freezer halfway up the staircase. At one point, the screwdriver had worked its way loose and slipped from the hasp, tumbling down the steps. Still, we pushed. Unfortunately, our impending victory was short-lived. I had been on the side nearest the basement while Seth had the foundation wall to his left, and as my foot struggled to climb the next step, my back gave way. I cried out in pain as my lower back muscles spasmed torturously. The pain shot through my back like a jolt of electricity and down to my legs, causing them to buckle and slide off the step. I remember hearing Seth shout as the freezer started to slide off the edge of the stairs and back into the basement. As it spilled over the staircase, the unsecured lid opened and the chest dropped onto the cellar floor with a loud crash snapping off the freezer lid, which somersaulted into the air before falling a few feet away. Despite what had happened, I could only grimace in pain as I slid down the steps. Above me, Seth was still shouting angrily. The dented freezer had fallen and landed on its side, the open top facing horizontally towards us and the stairs. I could already feel the cold air rushing out and drifting snowflakes settling upon my face. My back! I cried out as I watched Seth step over me and descend the stairs. You okay? He asked as he rushed to where the lid had landed. We need to get this lid back on. I can't move. I said weakly as I laid feebly stretched out on the stairs. The muscles in my back tightened into steel coils, restricting my movement with excruciating pain. All I could do was gaze into the shaft within the chest several feet away. Its endless depths were no longer vertical, but now a horizontal tunnel. Shit! He shouted. The lid! It's bent! While Seth attempted to bend the lid back into somewhere near its original form, I continued staring into the dark icy tunnel facing me, continuing to stare until those burning radiant embers appeared and stared back at me from the blackness. Seth, I said weakly, 
He didn't respond as he carried on wrestling with the lid between grunts. The eyes inched further out from the freezer now, and I began to make out the shadowy features of that hideous face. Seth! I cried out. Hurry! At my latest cry, he disregarded the lid and rushed to the chest, taking a knee at its opening. What is it? Bending down, he leaned into the opening and peered inside. At first, he squinted his eyes at the frigid wind and snow blowing forth, lifting his one hand to block it. Once he was accustomed to the wind, he lowered his hand and looked into the unexpected eyes staring back at him. He gasped at the sight, not realizing it was so close and fell back, attempting to scramble away on all fours. A blue hand with blackened talons suddenly reached out and grabbed his exposed ankle before he could get away. Seth screamed. If it was out of fear of being caught or of the frozen trauma to come, I could not say. Like the others, an icy crystallization formed, spreading over his shoe and up his pant leg. And before he could kick at it with his other foot, his leg came away at mid-shin with a loud snap. Frozen fragments of his pant leg, flesh and bone, showered down around the break. Seth screamed even louder. I gritted my teeth in agony as I tried to stand, only to collapse back helplessly onto the steps. Tears again welled up in my eyes as I fought against the agonizing pain and bearing witness to Seth's inevitable demise. As he writhed in pain on the floor, the thing pulled itself further from the chest. Discarding the severed limb, it grabbed at his other leg and pulled him across the floor toward it. With his leg firmly in its grasp, it began to crawl back into the freezer, taking Seth with it. The sight of him flailing about in resistance with his stump leg going up and down in futile effort as he screamed my name over and over was more than I could bear. I closed my eyes tightly and turned my head away. Soon my name turned into inaudible wails as I heard his hand slapping against the lip of the chest's opening. And then, it was silent. Not sure how long I laid on those stairs facing the stone foundation wall. I could only assume for an hour or two since I had no concept of time in the windowless basement. Over time, the pain in my back had eased up slightly, allowing me to very slowly creep up the stairs like a lazy snail. I turned my head back to the chest and paused. Milton snow had formed at the mouth of the open freezer as the wind continued blowing out. I could see Seth's severed leg too. It had thawed to the point where watered down blood was dripping from the exposed end and mixing with the snow. I could look no more and proceeded to make my slow and lengthy crawl upward. Having to stop every minute or so for the pain to subside, I stopped just short of the remaining five steps. Turning my head, I took one last glance into the cellar before my eventual departure. I gasped as my heart suddenly quickened. Seated on the freezer sat the thing, or demon, as Chabok would have suggested. It calmly sat there watching my arduously pitiful climb for lord knows how long with a dead, emotionless stare. No doubt taking glee observing my painful struggle. 
I never heard it emerge from the chest. My heart was pounding in my chest like an overworked jackhammer as sweat collected on my body. It stood and stretched its limbs, then took a step toward me. No! Please, no! I cried as it leisurely made its way to the foot of the steps and began to walk up the stairs to me. Once again, fate seems to have steered you in my direction. One last time. It spoke in that ghastly voice. <laughs> I closed my eyes and screamed as its hand fell on my shoulder. Talk about freezer burn. That was the ninth circle by Frederick Pangborn. A good reminder to defrost the old frigid air. A little about the author. Frederick Pangborn is a short story horror author with just over 100 stories written, with the majority of them in publication. His two latest anthologies, Hellish Consequences and Dreamers of the Tomb can be found on Amazon. A retired law enforcement officer and former U.S. Marine, he's currently happily retired in Florida. Show off. Thanks, Frederick. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. this is where we part ways friend at least till next week so grab a drink for the road i've got some mountain lightning twist up dr thunder i'll have the better shit next week i'm over it this week i'd like to shout out a very special listener y'all tenzin what's up tenzin thanks for always being there every week i really appreciate it and i really appreciate all the kind comments it's not that I forgot you, Tenzin. It's just that all this time I thought I had already shouted you out. I apologize. I also need to shout out Mr. Dalton Campbell. Hey, Dalton. I'm sorry for snapping at you like that, Dalton. I've felt bad about it ever since, 
Hopefully this will make up for it. So Mr. Tenzin and Mr. Dalton Campbell, may the wind be at your back and may the road rise up to meet you. Live a little, you cheapskates. You deserve it. And then, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Good night, y'all. I love you all. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.